You're listening to Language Nerds to Earth, a podcast about linguistics, culture, travel, and how they're all connected. Now it's time to meet your language nerd hosts. One in China, one in Spain. It's Patrice and Rachel. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Language Nerds to Earth. I'm Patrice. And I'm Rachel. And this is episode number 53. And today we are talking about secret languages or languages that are used by a very specific group. Mm-hmm. When I was looking at lists of secret languages, Pig Latin was included on some of them, but we will not be included, including Pig Latin today. <laughs> oh, yeah. And <laughs> that's not such a good one, but yeah. No. <laughs> but yes, we're going to talk about secret languages. So first, we'll look at some languages from our research all around the world that we thought you would really be interested in because we were interested in them. And then we're going to zoom in on one specific language that I learned about over the summer in Romania. And then I have a lost in translation moment. I can't wait to hear it. From myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm excited. Um, yeah. To hear what's been going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and... But first, we have some language news that actually came out in November last year, which is when I put, the, put it on the show notes, mm-hmm. but we haven't been able to cover it until now. So, do you yes. want to go? I think, I think Rachel's probably even more excited <laughs> about this than I am. I am. Um, I mean, I can't tell your... And, you know, I can't tell you how excited you are or not, but um, I am very excited about it because if you have listened to me, you probably know that I really like dogs and I have a dog and this news is just really exciting for dog people, which is about a speech pathologist who... Um, started using this sort of button system for her dog to be able to communicate with her. And so she teaches the dog mm, the different meaning, and then the dog can press the button and a voice speaks what she means. For example, she started with the word outside, and so she slowly taught her, like every time she would go outside, she would press the outside button. And then when finally she would say the word outside, the dog would look at the button. And then finally after that, she started being able to press the button whenever she wanted to go outside, which is so cool. (laughs) It is really, really cool. It gives me chills to think about. And just to keep this, to set the record straight, I also really like dogs. I just don't happen to own one. (laughs) I know, I know. I'm just kind of a crazy dog lady, you know? (laughs) Yeah, totally, totally. I think it, it is really, really fascinating language news. But so then they eventually started adding eat, water, play, walk, know, come, help, buy, and love you, which is so cute. (laughs) My favorite little story was um, she said when daylight savings started, she wanted to eat at like three o'clock and her, the woman told her, no, not yet. And... She tapped the buttons, love you know, and, ta- and walked into the other room. 
Yeah, and then there was another one <laughs> where she said they um, came home from the beach and it was taking them a little bit longer to make dinner. And the dog, Stella, she really wanted to go back to the beach. So um, after using several different single words and two word phrases to express this, she finally walked over to her device and said, water, good. No, eat, play. (laughs) So that's so crazy that she was able to combine thoughts and create like a real message. I know. That's. Did you watch all the videos? They're so cute. Yes, they're so cute. And it's like, she ha- I mean, she has to make this. She has to market it and make money off of it. Because any, like, you can teach your dog to do this. And she, she should, I, like, develop a training program. I really want to. I think that would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I would love it if my cats could communicate with me. I'm not I sure they would I wonder how it would work with level. cats. Like, if they would be motivated enough. I wonder... You know, if the reason that dogs can do it is that they're a bit more domesticated mm-hmm. and usually tra- more trainable than cats. Yeah, I'm, I wonder and the same thing. Not that cats don't have the same thoughts, but just right. that maybe they're not as motivated to learn things. Yeah, well, if she makes it for dogs, then I'm going to try to make it for cats. <laughs> I'll figure it out. <laughs> oh, play with a feather. Yeah, um, right. Food, water, of course. Um, mm-hmm. Don't pick me up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, we will link to that article on our show notes for this episode, which you can find by going to languagenerdsdoearth.com and then going to podcast, and you'll find episode 53. Yes. And watch the videos because they're so cute. Yeah, watch the videos. They're on Instagram, actually, and I think... She is probably Instagram famous by now. It's been three months. Yeah, totally. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, she has a talking dog, so. (laughs) Now, let's talk about some secret languages. Yes, let's do it. So we're going to start in China. There's a secret language spoken in Hunan province among women. And this actually is quite a famous secret language. And it's not a... A spoken language it's just a script right and it was a way for women to communicate between each other and among each other especially in the very strict patriarchal society that was china in the last hundred years and before it's kind of dying out because the whole um, population is getting more literate right but i thought it was really interesting that this language is not logographic, mm-hmm. which is like symbols. Rather, it's phonetic. So logographic is like hieroglyphs, basically, which is what Chinese is. And this language has a different character for a sound. It doesn't incorporate the tones of Chinese, the specific dialect of Chinese, but it uses pictures to just describe the sound of the syllable which just sounds so nice because I don't have that in Chinese right so basically it said there were like a couple thousand syllables that exist yeah like 1800 
uh, different characters to learn, which is... It's still a lot. It's a lot, but it's... I mean, by second grade, Chinese students are expected to know 50,000 characters. Yeah, that's incredible. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right? But, I mean, it's... Sort of, it sort of sounded like how Korean is that it's phonetic by, well, not exactly like Korean, but it's written by syllable, no? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So each syllable has a different sound. Mm-hmm. It's also written, so women in these days were not taught usually to read, and so this is why this developed Mm -hmm. so they could communicate and they had very close relationships between women yeah or between girls especially like and so the language was used as girls got older and got married and had lives to continue communication between each other and among each other so that yeah they could keep up basically Mm -hmm. and the writer of the article that we read was talking about how it's not really secret, like, people know about it, and people, um, if a man wanted to learn it, he basically could, but there's not really interest in that. Exactly. But it is so common among the women of this town that it's uncommon not to know it. So the author of the article was saying that she went to the town and met a woman who was about 80, And the woman asked her, what's your name? And she told her her name and the woman didn't understand. So she wrote her name in Chinese. And the woman looked at her and said, why didn't you write it in Nushu? And the woman said, well, I I don't know how to write Nushu. And the woman just kind of looked at her like, that's so weird. (laughs) But it's, they consider like Chinese writing to be more manly and tomboyish if a woman writes that way and Nushu if you look at it it is really really pretty like it looks like kind of a almost a cursive Chinese Mm -hmm. with long legs and it does have a lot of Chinese radicals in it so characters as in the regular language so that's where they got the different symbols but it's like a flowier version of Chinese which Chinese can be kind of boxy almost right squiggly yeah and it's also um written like that so it could be done in different types of typically feminine art forms like embroidery and things like that no? yeah yeah and on writing on fans i think as well mm-hmm, mm-hmm. exactly makes sense mm-hmm. so that's pretty cool and if i knew 1800 characters like i would consider myself you know literate <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah. Imagine that we really only have, like, 26. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Uh, Oh, yeah, one more thing about it is um, it's supposed to be written in thin lines, whereas Chinese is different. It's written in, like, tapered lines. Mm -hmm. Nushu needs to be written in uh, very thin, like, feminine lines. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's uh, go to the next language. What do we have? It's called Lunfardo, mm-hmm. which Lunfardo. <laughs> is basically slang from Buenos Aires. And it's pretty interesting because it comes from a pigeon mm-hmm. that came from Argentina. So different dialects of Spanish and 
Italian. Mm-hmm. And it was developed in prisons, largely, to let prisoners still talk about things without the guards knowing what they're talking about. Exactly. Yeah. I think born in brothels and prisons is what I read. (laughs) Yeah, it's really interesting. There are actually a lot of blogs that can show you different words for lunfardo. And it's similar to Spanish. I mean, Argentinian Spanish is kind of a combination of Italian and Spanish anyway. Mm -hmm. So if you speak, I think you have to be really, really fluent in Spanish to understand Argentinian Spanish in the first place. Yeah. (laughs) And then Tles Lunpardo, which is used a lot in tango. So if you're taking like tango classes, people will use Lunpardo in the lyrics and so people often learn some lunfardo to understand the tango lyrics. Mm, yeah. A lot of it has been used more widely or has come to be used by a wider part of the population. Mm-hmm. So not just the people that, that originated it. And a lot of the origins also come from Italian. Mm-hmm. Like it gave a couple of examples like Mina, which comes from Italian Femina, mm. um, which... Uh, refers to a woman, Mina, and something like lavorare instead of lavorare in Italian and would be used instead of the word trabajar, which means to work. Mm, Laborar, trabajar. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And then there was another word for like to pay instead of pagar. Gapar. Gapar, yeah. That was it, gapar instead of pagar. I think I did see that um, a lot of times they switch the first and second consonants. Yeah. In Lunfardo. That is almost like a pig Latin thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. Rearranging letters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, gomias is ami- amigos. Um, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, it does remind me of pig Latin in that way because mm. you're changing one letter to another point in the word. Exactly, yeah. But it's not easily understandable if you don't know the pattern. I feel like we should explain pig Latin to non-native English speakers. They might not know. (laughs) It's like a silly way, I think, that mostly kids speak as like a secret language, let's say. Um, And you Mm -hmm. take the first letter off Mm -hmm. and you add it to the end of the word and then you add the syllable A. With A. Yeah, that's it. So, for example, I may aim nay, see a, h ray. Oh, my name is Rachel. Yeah. Oh, very good. <laughs> yeah, it takes some uh, it takes some getting used to to really understand Pig Latin and become fluent. But yeah, I mean we're uh, a few years away from peak use, like in around eight or nine years old. So. <laughs> yeah, just a few. Yeah, You're a little rusty. Let's. This day, language lay. A upid stay, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's that's on. what it is. <laughs> okay, so our third language of the day is Kalawaya, which is a secret mixed language spoken by a group of traditional healers that dates back to the early fifteenth century. And why is it considered a mixed language? It's actually got a Quechua grammatical base, 
plus a varied lexical base that comes from a sister language to the now extinct Pukina language. So it's a mix of indigenous languages in Bolivia. But usually, I think in that region, there are like many, many indigenous languages. Right, exactly. Yeah. I think Bolivia, especially, is a hotbed for indigenous mm-hmm. languages. But it's passed only from father to son, or maybe in some cases when there's no son, from father to daughter, but it's not passed to the whole family. It's just passed to the people who are going to continue the trade of traditional medicine in this area. Mm. And they think there are like 100 to 200 speakers left. Wow. Yeah. And do you think it's to protect the trade? Oh, that's a really good question. Or is it just a tradition? I think it's a tradition. There wasn't a lot of information on it, but apparently there is a documentary called The Linguists, filmed in 2007, and... They made recordings of basic Kalawaya vocabulary and expressions. So if you look on YouTube, there's a really interesting little documentary of Kalawaya. But I think the thing that's so interesting about it is, you know, we have talked a lot about how when you have a language, you also have a culture that surrounds that language. And this culture is full of knowledge and probably things about the environment around them um, for healing. Yeah. Yeah, and it might be so entrenched in the tradition and the language are so linked that maybe there aren't really words in, in Spanish or in whatever other language they speak. Yeah, totally. Or in Quechua. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting that it has Quechua grammar and then the lexicon of a different language. Or a uh-huh. variety of different languages. I think that's... I've, I've seen that phenomenon in other cases. I mean, and it, it's a pretty normal thing, I think, to have grammar from one language and then an influence of other languages in the vocabulary. But... Yeah. Yeah. I guess that just goes to show that nothing is totally original, huh? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, shall we get to... The main feature? Yes. (laughs) Last summer, I went to Romania for two weeks, and it was really, really cool. And while I was there, I went on a tour with a woman who knew of this language. So I will just go ahead and play the recording of the little interview that I had. And from there, we we can talk about it. Okay, so... I am sitting here with Christina. Hi. Hello. (laughs) And Christina just took me on a wonderful tour of Bucharest where we ate really good food and we saw amazing architecture. But um, she told me a really great story about a language in Romania that I don't think there's any information about on the internet. So go ahead and tell us about this language, Christina. Right, so at the beginning of the 20th century, the only people who knew how to cut glass into windows were craftsmen from a specific region in Romania. It's actually in the western Carpathian Mountains um, in Romania, it's called Apusen. So even my grandparents would tell me that there were these uh, mountain men who would come down from the mountains carrying large sheets of glass 
um, and frames and they were the only ones who knew how to cut windows, cut the glass, make windows, um, yeah. And they had developed their own language in, it, in order to make sure that the trade stays in their villages and nobody can steal their trade. And this language, an artificial language as far as we know, um, was called Gumutsasko. My best friend's grandparents, they were the peasants who knew how to make this glass. And they spoke the language and of course you would teach it to your children and to your grandparents who hopefully would learn the craft. Now in the 60s, Ceausescu, Romanian's communist dictator at the time, decided to create window and window centers. I think they were called glass mirrors and window centers, but in the city. So he kind of forced, well, it was communism, you didn't really get a chance. Um, he moved the villagers from their villages in the mountains into the city. But even after this change, you still had the same people working together, but now in a different environment. So my friend's grandparents, they were moved to Bucharest, but they would still go to work with um, the villagers they had always lived with. They would still speak the same language, sometimes even the wives. Um, and of course, you would teach it to your children. So they were really small and closed communities in Bucharest, but which were based on a trade and on a language not on ethnicity or anything else. That's really cool. So they also spoke Romanian. Yeah, uh, this was in Transylvania. So you actually had Romanians, villages of Romanians, villages of Hungarians. Um, but as far as I know, the Romanians who were in charge of this craft, they had made up this language. They were only using it for trade. So at home they would still speak Romanian. But when they were talking about their or when they didn't want other people from other villages who had other who were in charge of other crafts to understand them, that's when they would switch to Gumutsaska. Um, I know people in my generation, so born at the end of the 80s, who still picked up the language from their grandparents, but now of course glass is produced industrially, windows as well, so it's not it's no longer a craft and I don't think there are many who speak it now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I imagine. But it's not really documented either, so... Um. Yeah, it, I guess it probably isn't. Do you know about... Do you know when they were able to start making glass? In Romania, on an industrial scale, uh, I no, would... When or, the... like, or, or these people. Mm. You know, unfortunately, I don't, because I don't know if they were making it or just buying it, because they knew how to cut it. Mm -hmm. um, of course, you need diamond to cut glass, so I don't know where they would get diamond-studded right. tools. But my best friend still has her grandfather's tools. She says she even knows how to use them because she's seen her grandfather do it. But of course, it's not like you get a chance every day to cut glass. Mm. Um, but no, I don't know where they were buying it from. Because, so, yesterday I went to this really cool museum in Bucharest called the Village Museum, where we got to see how people lived in the early 20th century. Um, some, sometimes the 18th century, but mostly, like, late 1800s, beginning of the 1900s, and I saw glass there, and I was telling Christina on the tour, like, I don't think these people had glass on their homes. And Christina was like, actually, <laughs> they did. Um. I know, for example, they were making glass actually here across the street at the old center. Wow. There was something called the glassmaker's courtyard. Maybe up to 10 years ago, you still had people who would show tourists 
how they can make glass so they were actually literally making the glass there wow um but that no longer exists here and i actually don't know how and who would be making glass high up in the mountain i've never heard about i've i haven't heard about it but that doesn't mean it didn't exist Mm -hmm. awesome thank you so much thank you yeah you know it's so funny because we we just talked about kalawaya and how uh, it was only passed down in the family to the people who were doing the trade. And it's very similar to Gutaniska. Yeah. Actually, that's what made me curious about it, if it was a way of protecting the trade mm-hmm. because of this recording. So it was a way of protecting trade or protecting, not trade, the trade. Yeah. And... Yeah, so I was curious if it was maybe a similar. Yeah, it could be. That's so interesting, though. Um, yeah, it, it's an artificial language. Mm-hmm, exactly. Huh. And there's an article that uh, Christina found and then sent to me after I talked to her. So, yeah, they invented a coded language. They call it a rural professional slang. And the only one of its kind that was discovered in Romania. So that means there are others that were discovered outside of Romania? I mean, I guess maybe the Kalawaya could be um, described as a rural professional slang. Yeah. There is also a little video of a man dis- uh, of a man in the article, which we'll post to the show notes, talking about it. Yes. So in the follow-up email... She said that, according to her friend, her grandparents got their glass from small Jewish factories in the area, and they learned the craft of glass cutting from the local Jewish community, and they expanded their market of, their services market, uh, south of the Carpathians, Mm -hmm. and they then created this language Mm. in order to protect that. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, into Wallachia. Hmm. Uh Uh-huh. And she also sent me a video that's in Romanian, but it's just a visual side to the story that's uh, another way to look at it. So we'll also post that in our links. Yes. Yeah. To Christina, if you're listening, thank you so much for inter- for talking with me and giving us a little glimpse into this special culture. I really enjoyed Romania. It's like definitely a hidden gem of Europe. Everything was just really, really sweet there. Yeah. Really good vibe from that country overall. Yeah, that's what you said. And I've never been, but... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And now it's time for Lost in Translation. Okay, okay. So, um, my Lost in Translation moment is that my Chinese is, has gotten to an intermediate level, okay? So, I can answer the phone. And probably almost all of the time now, I know what the person's calling about, which is a big step. (laughs) Yeah, cool. Yeah. And 
Um, lately, our internet's been in and out. In fact, during this call, my internet died, and Rachel and I had to reconnect. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, so Chinese internet, I think, is just not that great. I think it has to do with so many people, and especially right now, so many people yeah. are working from home. So it's just a heavy, heavy line issue. I'm I'm sure that's how internets work anyway, because, you know, I'm an expert. Yeah. Yesterday, somebody called about the internet, and I realized that they were talking about the internet. And then we got through the conversation. I try to, like, repeat back what they, what I understand so that, like, um, it helps me remember whatever has been said, and it clarifies, obviously. And I got off the phone a few minutes later, and Seth was like, okay, what was that? And I was like, okay, it was the internet people. He said, okay, and are they going to fix it? Because it keeps going in and out. And I'm like, I don't know. All I, all I know is that either tomorrow night or the following morning, something will happen for 5 to 15 minutes. <laughs> and I asked them if like somebody was going to come and fix it, and they said no. And I said, is there something we needed to do? And then she kept talking, and then said something about 5 to 15 minutes and then was like Kaima, which means is that okay and i'm like uh-huh <laughs> so, so who knows what's gonna happen in the next 12 hours or okay so this is still to be um figured out yep yeah that's my okay. really fascinating story of lost in translation it's like just the overall feeling of uh, cluelessness that goes along with any Lost in Translation story. Yeah. Oh my god, that's so true. And sometimes, you know, you just have to say yes because you can't, like, ask anymore. <laughs> you just, like, know you're not gonna understand it. So yeah. you just either nod and smile or just say yeah. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> like the life of an expat a lot of times just like yeah well and hopefully you're not handing or signing over the rights to your organs yes yes that's exactly that's exactly where i was gonna go like hopefully like i'm not gonna die because i've (laughs) i thought it was the internet guy calling (laughs) and yeah it definitely definitely five to 15 minutes that's all it'll take whatever it is yeah, maybe they're going to shut your internet off for 5 to 15 minutes. Maybe, or maybe there'll be a fire in my apartment for 5 to 15 minutes that I don't need to worry about. I mean... <laughs> well, you said it was okay, so... Mm-hmm. Yep, I said, I said no problem. That sounds good to me. <laughs> so... <clears throat> That was my Lost in Translation moment. Remember to send us yours. You can do that by going to our website, languagenerdsdoearth.com, and clicking on the record button Mm -hmm. and sending us your story, or you can type it in the contact form on our website as well. Exactly. There are so many options, really. 
And another way to communicate with us is via Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So make sure you go to those places if you want to talk. Mostly Facebook. I feel like that's where we're the most active. Yeah. But any of them work. Um, also, if you have any information or you know of any languages that are trade related or secret um, or secret, that would be really cool to know about and we could share it on our socials as well. Faux show. That'd be really cool. And subscribe to the podcast so that you get the episodes as they're coming out. As you can see, we are back. This is our third week in a row recording. Yay! We're doing it! <laughs> so, yeah. We'll make sure you get the episodes. And and please leave us a review if, if you're so inclined. And it really helps people to find us and for more people to find the podcast. Exactly. Okay, everybody. Hope you enjoyed this episode and have a wonderful week. Yes. See you next time. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Language Nerds to Earth. My name is Patrice. Let's do that again. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot how to do it.